If I were to ask a hundred people to define a ghost, probably 99 of them would say something like, a ghost is the spirit of a deceased person that roams the earth. This is the classic definition that people use really all over the world. But really, are ghosts so simple? After well over a decade of paranormal investigation, I've come to believe that the definition of a ghost is not so simple. Of course, most ghosts are the spirits of deceased people, but are all of them. In my research, I have found that some ghosts can be pets that have passed on. Others might be actual physical objects, such as trains. Now, generally, these objects have been used by people or been in close proximity with people. But there is one other type of ghost that is reported from time to time, and that is a living ghost. So simply, if a ghost is the spirit or the soul of an individual, it seems that sometimes the individual does not need to be deceased, and that at certain times, their soul or spirit can become detached from their body and haunt the living. Hi, I'm Scott Bryan, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of the Ghostology Podcast. Is anyone there? We want to make contact with you. We want to share your story. We're going to seek the truth no matter where we find it. Everyone's got a ghost story. I'd like to tell you mine. And the look on his face was a look of shock. First thing I did was go over to him and say, are you okay? I want you to breathe. Welcome to Ghostology. Hello. As I said before, my name is Scott Bryan, and in this episode of the Ghostology Podcast, I want to talk about an experience that I was told by a woman named Cassie. Her experience was extraordinary, to say the least, and it also shed light on the actual characteristics of a ghost. I met Cassie when she was an adult, and she had come on one of our haunted history tours in Idaho, but she had grown up in the 1980s in the state of California. She lived with her family in a home that had been built in the 1930s. When Cassie was not even seven years old, she began to tell her mother, whose name was Mary, that she had a friend who lived in the attic of their home. At first, her mother did not think much about her daughter's friend. After all, many children have imaginary friends. But as the months passed, the friend did not disappear. In fact, the friend became a frequent subject of conversation. Cassie did not play with her invisible friend every day. But when they met in the attic, her friend would tell her details about her life. It became obvious that Cassie's friend was from another time, probably the 1940s. One day, Cassie told her mother that her friend's name was Charlie and that she had actually lived in their house. She then told her mother that many years ago, horses lived around their home. Mary thought this was strange, but it was quite possible as her home was surrounded by a newer development completed about 15 years before. A few days later, Mary happened to be talking to a longtime resident of the area. Just out of curiosity, she asked the person if they knew anything about the neighborhood before the last development. She was shocked to hear that a farmer previously owned the land and that he also raised horses. 
It was in the middle of the summer when Cassie said that Charlie was looking for something she had lost. Cassie explained that Charlie had a brother who liked to tease her and had taken her favorite doll. He had hidden the doll as a joke, but then forgotten where he had put it. Cassie told her mother that she wanted to find the doll for Charlie. For weeks afterward, Cassie searched all around the home looking for the doll, but finally gave up without success. It was nearing October when Cassie came to the dinner table holding a dirty old cloth doll. Her mother asked where she had gotten the toy and Cassie explained that Charlie had told her where it had been hidden. It seemed that Charlie's brother had taken the doll and hidden it in the basement between the ceiling joints. Cassie had gotten a ladder and pulled the doll out of a mess of insulation. Cassie's mother wanted her to throw the filthy doll away, but Cassie became so upset that her mother allowed her to keep it after a session in the washing machine. Another summer arrived and Cassie was now eight years old. As Cassie continued to mature, she talked about Charlie less and less. One day, her mother asked her if Charlie was still in the house. Cassie responded that she still saw Charlie, but they did not speak much. Cassie's mother was relieved that her daughter was growing up and not playing with imaginary friends anymore. By the time Cassie was back in school, she had stopped talking about Charlie, and her mother believed that her imaginary friend days were over. But that November, Cassie awoke one night screaming. Her mother rushed to her side, wondering what was wrong. Cassie said that she was awakened by something shaking her bed. As she looked to see who it was, she had recognized Charlie. Cassie's mother assured her that it had only been a bad dream and everyone went back to bed. A week later, it was nearing Thanksgiving. Cassie's family was planning to host a big dinner for the extended family. Mary was busy planning for the holidays and had forgotten all about Cassie's nightmare. She checked supplies in the kitchen. Cassie wandered in, looking sullen and frustrated. Mary hardly had time to deal with a moody child, but finally asked Cassie why she looked so sad. Cassie told her that Charlie was back and that she was very sad because no one would be visiting her for Thanksgiving. Mary was a little surprised by the statement, but figured the excitement of the holidays had incited Cassie's imagination again. But as Thanksgiving neared, Cassie continued to mention Charlie and her loneliness. Finally, Mary had enough of hearing about Charlie and impatiently asked what, if anything, could be done to alleviate Charlie's loneliness at Thanksgiving. Cassie explained that Charlie lived in a building with a green roof about 30 miles away and that she wanted to visit her. Mary was confused as she thought Charlie lived in their home. She questioned Cassie on how Charlie could live somewhere else when Cassie had also said that she lived in their home. Cassie seemed a little puzzled by the question, but after thinking for a moment, she explained that Charlie used to live in their house, but now lived somewhere else. Frustrated by the answer, Mary threw up her hands and said a visit was not going to happen. After Thanksgiving, as Mary tucked Cassie into bed, she asked her daughter if anything was wrong. Cassie said everything was fine, but Mary could tell that wasn't true. I'm sorry if I've been busy lately, she said looking into Cassie's eyes, which were suddenly filling with tears. I'm just so sad for her. How would you feel if you were in a room all day where you couldn't do anything and no one ever visited, replied Cassie. Yes, that sounds awful, but you do visit Charlie and you can play with her anytime. Couldn't you explain that to her so she wouldn't have to be sad? Mom, you don't understand, Charlie said softly. When Charlie and I talk, it isn't real. She can come see me, but we can't touch. Charlie is somewhere else and she doesn't like her home. Mary thought for a moment, 
as she hadn't realized the complexities between her daughter and Charlie, it was hard enough to give relationship advice to an eight-year-old, but then to discover her interactions were abstract and intangible. Charlie says that if we travel north on the main highway for 30 miles, there is a man with an axe next to a blue cow. When he waves at us, take the next exit and look for the red barn. Behind the barn is a green field where Charlie lives, in a building with a green roof. And outside, there are horses. Mary was surprised by Cassie's detailed response. By then, Cassie was nearly asleep, so Mary said nothing. She stroked her daughter's hair, and then Cassie was sound asleep. The next morning, the weather was cold, wet and foggy. It was Saturday, and Cassie did not want to go out. But Mary soon convinced her to arise and dress. And in less than an hour, mother and daughter were driving on the northern highway. Mary had been sure to check the odometer to measure exactly 30 miles from their home. At 25 miles, Mary turned to Cassie and asked if this was the way to Charlie's home. If this is the main highway, then yes, that is what Charlie said. Mary saw her opportunity. Well then, we are just past 25 miles from our home. Why don't you look for the man with the axe and the blue cow? If you see them, then let me know and I will take the next exit. Cassie enthusiastically agreed and began to scan each side of the road. Mary counted the miles as they passed on the odometer until the 30th mile arrived and passed. I am so sorry, Cassie, but we have traveled more than 30 miles. Cassie's forehead wrinkled in disappointment as her eyes dimmed. She looked at her mother for only a moment before her gaze returned to the road. There they are, Mama, screamed Cassie while pointing to something off the highway. The piercing exclamation startled Mary, who had not seen anything. Cassie, don't scream like that, Mary commanded. I'm sorry, Mama, but you need to take the next exit. You promised. Mary looked to see a green exit sign nearly upon them. Without hesitation, she jerked the steering wheel, and the car at full speed diverged onto the exit. Soon, the car came to a stop. Cassie, you need to stop all this foolishness and stop imagining things. You are eight years old. Your imaginary friend Charlie was fine when you were younger, but it's time to grow up. Tears welled up in Cassie's eyes. But Mama, I saw the man with the axe and the blue cow. You said to tell you so we could find Charlie's home. Mary, hearing the sincerity in Cassie's voice, agreed and turned down the road that paralleled the highway. It was not long before Mary could see something blue. As the car approached, Mary saw a large sign for a business called Paul's Tires. The business specialized in tires for commercial vehicles and trucks. Mary pulled into the parking lot. She noticed a large statue about eight feet tall near the main entrance. There stood a fiberglass statue of the legendary Paul Bunyan holding an axe next to his faithful blue ox, Babe. A mechanical arm on the statue rose high in the air and swayed back and forth, inviting everyone to come in and buy tires. Not believing her eyes, Mary put the cart in drive and returned to the highway exit ramp. There she looked for a red barn but could see nothing. A few yards away, a man wearing a yellow rain poncho was sitting on a covered bench waiting for the bus. Mary pulled up to the man. Cassie rolled down the window and asked if he knew where the red barn was located. Without pause, he simply pointed to the adjacent road and said, about a quarter mile. In a flash, the car was traveling down the street. It did not take long before a large red barn was in sight. It turned out to be a fast food restaurant. 
Mary turned left onto a quieter road flanking the red barn, and then a large green field of grass came into view. In the middle of the field, a long structure with a green metal roof spread over the property. A sign at the entrance read, Green Valley Retirement Center and Hospice Care. Mary parked the car and she and Cassie entered the building. Inside, they approached an information desk. After an awkward moment, they asked the young woman at the desk a question. Charlie jumped forward. We are here to see Charlie. We don't have a resident here named Charlie. The receptionist said, Oh, I'm sorry, we don't have a last name, Mary answered. The receptionist looked confused. So are you at the right retirement home? Yes, this is the right place, Cassie said with a big grin on her face. She lives here and no one visits her anymore. Oh yeah, she said that we could find her room by looking for horses. The receptionist's face turned from a look of confusion to happiness. Oh, well, that sounds like Charlotte White. She absolutely loves horses. She has not had a lot of visitors. As Mary and Cassie walked towards Charlotte's room, they looked at the many decorated doors that lined the hallway. Many of the residents had placed personal pictures, paintings, or other objects on their doors. Soon they came to a door that was covered with images of horses. Looking at the room number, Cassie could see it was the right one. Mary paused and softly knocked on the door, which was answered by a hospice worker who greeted them and motioned them to enter. In the far corner of the small room lay a sleeping woman in an inclined bed. As they drew near, the old woman did not react to their arrival. Looking at her face, Cassie could tell the woman was ancient and probably living her last months or even days. Is this Charlotte? Mary asked the worker. Yes, she is resting as she does most of the time now. Charlotte only wakes anymore to eat a little. She doesn't have a lot of time left, but then again, she has been this way for about a year. Cassie walked up to the bed and with her fingers softly stroked Charlotte's wrinkled hand. Her skin was loose with the texture of soft leather. Charlotte, still unconscious, shifted a little in her bed as a small but undeniable smile rested upon her face. The room had a single window that allowed a little filtered light into the room. The cold rainy day did not produce much light, but enough for Mary to see an old photo album on a dresser. As she opened the album, she studied the old photographs. Many were of a young boy, while others were clearly Charlotte and a dark-haired man, presumably her husband. In the very back of the album, the last couple of pages contained old images of a girl Mary gazed at scenes of the girl with her parents and then looking out over one of the fields with several horses in the background. Another image was of the girl with a boy. Mary froze at the bottom of the picture. She read in faded black ink the names, Charlie and Nick. A final image caught Mary's eye. There were no people in the image, just a field with horses and the corner of a house. As Mary studied the faded black and white photograph, she recognized the corner of their house. The area looked very different now, but Mary was able to recognize several hills in the background that had not changed. Mary knew then that Charlotte was also Charlie. Mary and Cassie stayed with Charlotte for about an hour. Charlotte never woke during their visit. As they were leaving, Cassie whispered to Charlotte that she would take care of her doll and that she would visit again. Mary called about a week later to check on Charlotte, but learned she had died a few days earlier. After that, Cassie never saw her friend Charlie again, but she still has her doll. Cassie is not sure if Charlie was a ghost, a spirit, or something in between. Cassie is now an adult and still remembers vividly her experiences with Charlie, the living ghost. So I hope that this has been interesting and has given you something to think about. 
I'm Scott Bryan, and I'd really like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Ghostology Podcast. We'll be bringing you more episodes and hope you turn in for those. If you liked what you heard on our podcast today, we'd encourage you to go find more about Ghostology. You can go to our website at ghostology.com or check out my Ghostology books that can be purchased online at amazon.com. Just go and type in Ghostology, Scott Bryan, and they'll come right up. I hope you have a great rest of your day.